0: We've been in Romans 8 a little while, and one of the guys that some of y'all may have read, I've recommended that you read him as uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, he's done some work <clears throat> in the scriptures and others, and I just uh, was a little amused as I was still working to this. I We're not through yet. We're still working on this uh, uh, question, what can I expect from God? That on the two verses we're looking at today, uh, we're going to be looking at Romans 8, 28 to maybe 30. <laughs> But in Martin Lloyd-Jones' work on that, a guy I've respected, he he dedicates in Romans 8, 28 to 30, two verses, 208 pages. (laughs) So, I'm not that slow, am I? (laughs) Uh, So, give me a break, okay? But we're dealing with, out of Romans 8, what we think or what we believe that Paul would be helping us to understand to some degree, what can I expect From God. Remember, the four questions are Is there a God? If there is a God, then what is this God like? The second question. The third question is What does this God expect from me or require of me? And then the fourth question we're working on is What then can I expect or or believe uh, that I can receive from God? And expectations, if you will, are um, part of life. Uh, How many remember uh, the run up to Christmas when you were a kid? That what you were expecting to happen, and it sometimes did, <clears throat> sometimes didn't, didn't it? Yeah, remember that. I mean that that sense of expectancy, that that sense of expectation uh, that you would uh, have, and it it created all kinds of joy maybe in your heart and in your life. And expectations sometimes, uh, if you will, uh, what we can expect from God or for other things, uh, can create some tension. Uh, I told Becky I was going to tell this. Uh, we just got back last week. Uh, You know, the church gave us the dollar club to go to to Washington, D.C., took 11 students uh, to the Bible Museum. I told them when we got there, this is going to be great. We've got 11. I'm okay with bringing back nine. (laughs) So you better do what I say when I say it, okay? Now, when when we got ready to go, I mean, everybody's expectations are just off the chart. Some of these kids have never been to Washington, D.C. One of the kids said they'd never flown on an airplane. And I uh, thought that was interesting. And so their expectations, they didn't sleep at night. They, they, were, they were all excited and, and all. And um, I had some expectations too. Um, <clears throat> this is the uh, most interesting thing I think that's ever happened to me in traveling. Uh, <clears throat> on March the 9th, I bought the tickets for uh, <clears throat> this trip on March the 9th. Got em, got em, uh, got from, I went to a travel agent and got the, the, the seating assignments and everything. On March the 9th. By the day before we left, on April 25th, those tickets had still not been paid for for almost two months. So I go by the travel agent and said, what is going on? I have tickets that have not been paid for I, for almost two months. I don't think American Airlines is that generous. <laughs> Can you tell me what's going on? And they said, we're not sure. Uh, and I said, really? <clears throat> no, we're not sure. <clears throat> we're working on it, but the tickets are good. So that night, they didn't sleep because of their expectation of going to Washington, D.C. I didn't sleep because I thought we were not going. <clears throat> Every time we checked in for another leg of the flight, I expected or the, the person at the counter to say, these tickets are no good. Now, that was okay at Will Rogers with me. We're just not going. But we got to Dallas. It got a little more intense. Then after we got to Washington, D.C. and started back, one of the students had trouble with their ticket. And I said, here we go. (laughs) Eleven students in Washington, D.C. with no tickets. I want to tell you, I didn't tell anybody on the trip because I don't want to ruin it for them. Didn't. I did not relax because of my expectations until I got on the plane at Charlotte, North Carolina, was more than halfway to Oklahoma City, assuming they wouldn't turn around (laughs) for that, fully expecting somebody from American Airlines to meet me on the ramp out and say, we got to talk. Now, here's the crazy thing. They still hadn't been paid for. we, We have no idea what happened. And we may be taking another trip. (laughs) 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 I'm sure it'll work its way out. But it's interesting how their expectations were a certain way. And I didn't want to tell them because I want to ruin their trip. You know, I I just kept quoting under my breath all the time, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. with Thanksgiving, let your request be made unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus over and over. So when this is all over, when we get this thing, I'm going to take uh, Stuart Graham and Marty and choke them out. <coughs> they didn't give me, they, well, it's a, but expectations, I thought, here are two groups of people on the same trip, but have different expectations, completely, and that made me again think about what are the expectations, when you look around your table, there are people at your table that it's likely they have different expectations about God than you do. And we're sitting in the same room, and we're claiming to, to know the same God. And so I want to look at that. Now, let me give you a quick overview here real quick again. I think it's important. The general outline of Romans 8 is it begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation. Ends with no Starts with no condemnation and ends with no separation. And I, I just have to draw your attention. We, we're not going to get there for a while, but... Um, I I just am, am fascinated in Romans. At, we're going to try to go to thirty, and if we don't, we'll we'll do it next week. But beginning at verse thirty-one on this no separation, on verse thirty-one this no separation idea. I just you ought to go through there and look at this because I think Paul's doing something here uh, that has this idea of no separation. You'll notice in verse thirty-one, what shall we say then if these things are for us? As God is is for us, who is against us. Verse 32, who did not spare? 33, who will bring a charge? 34, who is the one who condemns? Who is the one at the right hand? Verse 34, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of nothing but we conquer through him? I want to just lay this out here. That what we can expect from God is that Paul understands it's not the what's in life, it's the what? The whos. See, the what's in life are what bother us. This is what happened to me. This is what occurred. Paul understands behind the what's is a who that you can depend on and trust and rely on. Instead of looking at the what's in life and say, well, God must be mad at me or maybe I'm separated from him. or what? He said, no, 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 no. No, life is about who, not who. And some of y'all have experienced that, right? You know, you've had some bad what's. You've had some difficult what's in life. You've had some challenging what's in life. But we're going to get to that eventually, that Paul is really trying to redial this to say the real reality is who? Who is it? that's in your life who is it that's with you so that's kind of a general outline a second thing here on the general on the more specific outline where we are as i as I refer to this or see this I want to suggest to you that this uh, a, a more specific outline I've given a great amount of detail here but uh, before but you can listen to the podcast if you want to that really uh, the the specific outline as far as I'm concerned is that in the book of Romans that which many say is the greatest chapter in the Bible. You know, everybody's got an opinion, but of how and what one can live and experience, is it really that there is this understanding of the specific that in this section, the Trinity is involved in our experience. In Romans 8, uh, well, in Romans 8, 1 all the way uh, through uh, uh, 27, it's the Spirit. 8, 1 to 27, go back and look at that. The Spirit His work in our life. In 28 to 30, well actually uh, uh, 28 to 33 is the Father. And then in 34 to 39 is the Son. That's fascinating to me that, that in this understanding of what can we expect from God, that we can expect the entire Trinity to be participating with us in this life. That's the good news, isn't it? <laughs> that, that, that God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are seen in the details, are seen in the realities of our life here. And I, I think that's a more specific outline. I've given you this before. This is Rubilev's uh, very famous icon or picture of the Trinity, which, again, uh, if you're a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> the, Trinity, the, 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 the Trinity is what we call uh, the language of God. It's how we talk about God. You know, uh, 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 grammar or uh, grammar is how we understand how we work uh, uh, in in language. I don't say, I have an question, do we? Unless you're from Texas, you know. (laughs) I have an question. I have a question. Uh, I have done, not did. (laughs) I have did this. Again, I'm from Kentucky and Texas. It's amazing I know anything about language. (laughs) That... That, that this is the grammar. That the grammar of God, or talking about God, is Trinitarian. That we understand God to be Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, this picture is amazing because they all have the same face. And they all, as I said before, are looking away, for, or deferring to one another. That they're in deferential love to one another. And, and this idea of, of Trinity, I said to you before and I still believe it. You cannot say God is love without Trinity because God was God before he created anything. And there was love in the members of the Trinity before there was a world. God is not loving. God is love. And that demands Trinitarian understanding that God was love and loving and in that relationship of the Trinity, there was love happening before there was ever any creation so this is important stuff here that Paul is referring to, that trinity, trinitarian involvement in our life guarantees, if you will, one, that the experience of love is a reality in our lives, and two, that God is participating in all those members. So we said, real quickly, number one, the Spirit's praying for us, 826, we, de- we dealt with that. Um, I-, I love that passage there that-, that says the Spirit is interceding for us and praying for us. As I said to you before, the vacuous nature of English is that it says here, the Spirit, in the same way, helps our weaknesses. Helps, Helps is the English word. The Greek word is this long word. Uh, it's uh, the word lambanatai you, you got that one, right? <laughs> uh, how do you spell that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, S-U-N. Let me work. Uh, S-U-N-A-N-T-I-L-A-M-B-A-N-A-T-A-I. Something like that. That's right. Use it in a sentence, please. I <laughs> feel like I'm at the spelling bee. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but when you tear that word apart, helps, the Spirit helps us in our praying. Soon means with. t means on the other side of the issue. Lambano means lifting what you can't lift. It's a pretty good word. How we get helps in English, I don't know. <laughs> soon with us on T on the other side of the problem or issue that we're praying about, lifting what we can't lift. And so the spirit, if you will, is uh, working or praying. Carbart may have said like this, that God makes himself our advocate with himself. God God makes himself our advocate with himself. And so we, we understand that this is the understanding of what can I expect from God. I can expect the Spirit to be praying for me. Now, here's where I want to go today, or this, this new idea. Here it is. The Father is purposing. Look at verses 28. <clears throat> we'll, we'll pick up there. And we know, and I'm reading from the American Standard. It's a little bit different from the ESV, but close. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called in to a purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. So I want to look here, what I'm suggesting is, what can we expect from God, is that we can expect Him working His purposes out. So let's, let's, let's look at that, if you will. Um, <clears throat> Uh, first of all, we, this is. I want you to look at this in this uh, purpose statement. He begins by saying, we know. Notice that there. And that's the way ESV and other translations translate this. <clears throat> this is the purpose of the Father is known. Who knows it? Who? We. <clears throat> now, Paul is not uh, accustomed to just throwing words in there don't mean something. I want to say, suggest here, first of all, that in this understanding of what can we expect from God, is God purposing, working in our life, is this. I I wrote it this way, if you will. This is a confession of God's people. This is not an isolated individual or some person, but it is the people of God. I think when we have trouble and difficulty... That's why we need to be around the people of God because Cliff may be going through something that's very difficult or painful or you may be going through something and when we get together, we can say, look, we know it's painful, we know it's difficult, but we also know something together collectively. You may not know it right now. You may not see it right now, but we know the history of God's people, the the testimony of God's people is that we know this. You may not know it right now. You may just have to come along with us and walk along with us for a while because we've been where you are. We've experienced what you've experienced to some degree, not identical. But we know this, that God causes all things to work together. I think that's an important matter here to begin with. I don't know where you are in your life, but when you have trouble, it's hard to say, I know, isn't it? It's hard to say, I know. You know, I'm, I'm in this terrible situation or I'm in this difficult relationship. Or I'm in this uh, difficult time. It's hard sometimes to come up with, I know. But Paul says here, we know. Who knows that? The people around your table. The people that have followed Jesus for a while. The the, the people that, if you will, have experienced life at different times. They will say to us, hey, you know what? We know this. We, we, we do, in fact, know this, that God is working in our lives. And so I just want to draw that out, that God's purposes have to be understood, that this is God is working with his people and his family. We know this. I may not today, it may not seem real to me today or to you. It may seem like just a bunch of words, but you look around your table or you look around this church and you talk to people and they'll say to you, you know, I, I've been through something like this. I've, I've experienced something like this. It's not identical. We tell our students, don't ever tell a person you know what they're going through. You don't, okay? Just, you don't. But Paul is saying here that we know together that that's true. So that's the first point. The second thing here I want to suggest is the participants in this purpose. Um, uh, the the uh, ESV does a good job here uh, translating this. Now, New American Standard tries to, if you will, make it a little what we call... Um, uh, put it in what we call English idiom. Uh, I thought a teacher called me that one time you 're just an idiom, <laughs> but they meant something else. <laughs> I was an idiom, I was an idiot <laughs> but but Bible translators try to put it in, in in a cleaner, easier idiom, but it literally says this in uh, the original language it says this, and we know to the ones. Who are loving God, all things are working together into or toward good to those called according to his purpose. It's interesting because word order in Greek is important. Here he says this. We know that to the ones who love God, that's in the first position there. It's not to everybody. This is not some kind of universal principle that we all say, well, you know... Uh, everything always works out somehow. Yeah, bad <laughs> sometimes. You know, That that's that kind of mentality that, you know, that, well, you know, everything will finally work its way out. Well, it will work its way out, but whether or not it will be good is something to consider. Because this first position is, we know that to the ones who love God, that to the ones who love God, everything or all things are working together we're going to look at that in a minute, into good. To those are the ones, to the ones who are called or being called to his purpose. And so the participants, if you will, of God's purposing. I, I think I made up a new word, uh, purposing, uh, what God is doing here. God's working on purpose. You know, I was telling somebody, if you follow Twitter, which I don't recommend, um, <clears throat> in my uh, college students, there's a new, they created a new word. Uh, and you can follow it and, it, you know, I'm just getting old and cranky. So I, I, never, I never respond on Twitter. I hear people in the back of my head, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And so I haven't so far. Because I see stuff that, you know, my, I'll stop there. <laughs> but, but some of my kids, they've created a word, I thought. So I can create a word, purposing, because the word is adulting. you seen that? I mean, they're doing stuff. They're out of college now. And, you know, they're having to pay a, a, a house payment. And so they created a word. So I thought, I'm going to create a word. It's purposing. It's purposing. That God is purposing. He's working together with us in this matter. And so the first one is the participants here, you he will, of this is for those who love God. For those who love God. Now, it's interesting this is kind of a, a, an analysis on my part. You know, you don't have to agree with it. Um, but Paul, I think, maybe sees humanity in two categories. Not Christian and pagan or wealthy or, you know, poor. He sees them in two categories. Those who love God and those who don't. I mean, that, you say, well, that's pretty simple, Cliff. That's almost infantile. But <clears throat> here's the idea. That there is this division of this promise that we know that to those who love God, all things are working together for good to those called according to His purpose. that This is not some generic, the universe is going to kind of make everything go well. But this is to a specific group. So it's for those who love God. Um, how often have we thought about this? That this promise, and this is the, the, the actual order in Greek. We know... To those who love God, you know, at Crossings here we say we're people of faith. To be known by what? Love. You know, sometimes that can be just kind of sentimental stuff, isn't it? Sappy, Hallmark-ish kind of stuff. I mean, i will just be honest with you. I, you know, uh, you know, it, it it can be kind of sappy. You know, I'm probably telling you more about me than you want to know. But you know, I mean. Live by faith, people of hope, and known by love. And part of that, I think, is in this understanding that Paul is, is saying that to people that love God, he is working for the good. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I think here. Um, there's been a good deal of research I read on American Christianity, and because I'm in that field, and, and I'm working with students, and, um, you know, uh, there's really good students, and there are students that get it, and others that are still trying to figure it out, and that's, that's part of college, you know, that, that's, that's part of reality. But there's a, uh, <clears throat> there, there is a research project that's been done in the United States for several years, and they've come up with a, um, an idea of what American religion is, and it's not characterized by love. You think about it that some I think I've fallen into this, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this I think I've fallen into sometimes that that um, because I know that that faith obeys that that I've kind of characterized my Christian life as obedience that hadn't been bad, uh, but I think in some ways at times it's created in me an elder brother you know I told you this before that that I, I know that faith operates in obedience. You know, Paul says the faith that creates obedience. And, and James 2 that says, you know, that faith is known by its obedience or works. I, I, I got that. But maybe I got it too much. So I was the kind of person that, that would say to God, I've never disobeyed a single command. And that's not true. But, you know, I'm kind of like the older brother. You know, the older brother in the parable of the sower, a parable of the prodigal son, uh, that, that, that obedience thing. It was like grinding your teeth down. And, and, and that was, I'm going to do what God says. And I did it in some ways, you know, out of, out of discipline. Or, or I understood religion or Christianity to be a matter of having the right thoughts, the right doctrines, you know, the right ideas. Justification by faith, you know, all these kind of things. And, and so I kind of designed it, understood it. in those And that's good. I'm not saying that that's bad. But what seemed to be missing for, many time, for me was that what was fueling that obedience wasn't love. It wasn't love. And let me tell you, as I read this some time ago and I, I'm working through it, here's what the religion of America is being called. And it's particularly seen, and when I say young people, I mean college kids. Like this is what I'm dealing with every, every day, okay? I'm just sometimes saying, please get away from me right now. (laughs) Just, I'm too cranky. I'm like your dad. Just leave. I I walked out of class last semester, just said, I got to (laughs) go. Walked out. Because I was... And uh, But here's what it's called. Yeah, anybody that... No, I'm not going to say that. Here's what it's called. Moralistic... Therapeutic deism. And there's some research on this if you want to look it up by Smith and forgot the other name. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Let me let me unpack it just a little bit for you. Moralistic. Be, be a good person. Which can be defined by you recycle. <laughs> I, I got students think you're going to hell if you get a plastic bottle. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to recycle. I'm not saying. I'm just saying that being good is defined. Recycle things. Uh, be, in, be concerned. And I, none of these things are wrong. I'm not saying. That. I'm just saying it's interesting how it's redefining things. You know, recycle, be concerned about the the, uh, the uh, environment. I, I think that's right. Uh, care for others maybe that are hungry and poor. It, it really kind of works its way into a works righteousness. And I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Because I'm concerned about the environment. Or I'm concerned about recycling. Or I'm concerned about the poor. Um, and all those things are important. <clears throat> but when that begins to be defining who's the Christian experience or what a follower of Jesus is. I, I'll say this, I, because of this moralistic approach, because I'm actually better than other people, right? You know, I'm not as bad as those people, right? Here, here's what, what the, sort of the research indicates. You, you know what it takes to go to heaven now? Die. See it. Isn't that true? Everybody goes to heaven. Well, they were a good person. I'm not saying don't be a good person. I'm not saying any... I'm simply saying that this moralistic value system now, I'm better than you because I'm concerned about social justice. Or I'm concerned about these issues. In fact, I want to say, and I'm telling my students this, I want to change the language on that. Because people that are, seem to be... I'm just suggesting. And, and we should be concerned about social justice. But it gets to the point that I'm better than you. I think we need to change it to what John Wesley called it, social holiness. If people are living holy lives, they love care for the poor. They don't want to see racism rampant. Or at all. They don't want to see it. They They don't want to deal with those. They don't want those issues to be in life. But this moralistic kind of, I'm better than you. Look what I do over here. It turns into works righteousness. I've got more you so that's a therapeutic second feature of it is that God is really here to fix my problems I mean you know he's to make me feel better I can't tell you the number of people I know over the years that go to church instead of to offer God worship if they don't get what they want or they don't feel it they're gone right it's therapeutic You got to make me feel better, but when I leave, you can't make me feel worse. You can't make me get serious about something. I got to feel better, or or all the the gospel is about better marriages, how to raise your kids better, how to get a better career, how to be more successful. I'm not against any of those things, and I'm not saying they don't happen. I'm simply saying when that becomes the focus of it, it becomes therapy. Who becomes the center of the gospel then? Me. I become the center of the gospel. God is here. To serve me. The il- illustration I use my students said they get it because a lot of them work in food service. You know, I haven't had a waiter yet that after I made my order came down and sat down and said, I'd like a little of that chicken parm you're having there. I <laughs> uh, don't think so. You know, I, I, they're there to serve me, right? Hey, hey, another tea, another tea over here. And their tip is going to be based on that. Right, so when I need them, I call them. I don't ask them to join me. I don't ask them to have lunch with me. You're there to serve me, okay? I, <laughs> we were Washington D.C. I got a cab, and uh, we're at the Lincoln Memorial. And I said, "We got to go to Crystal City to the Hampton Inn." And I got 15 people. Can you get me there? And I got out of line, and I don't know the etiquette of cabs. You know, <laughs> they're yelling at me and screaming at me, like, "Forget you, Jack! I got 15 people. I got to get the hotel." So you know, I'm I'm a i am i am get in a cab and I said, "Can you take me there? How much will it be?" Well, I know, give me a ballpark, okay? I, I, I'm from Oklahoma. Give me a ballpark here. Don't tell me well, it's hard to say. You know, no, it isn't. You know how far it is? How far? Anyway, we get in the car, We get in the cab. He doesn't know where he's going. I'm not kidding you. He. So I kick my Google Maps open because I know where it is. And he said, so do I turn up here? I said, I don't live here, man. He's asking me questions. Stops on the George Washington Expressway, four lanes of traffic, nearly kills all of us. So we get to the hotel, and the fare is $13.95. I'm using Uber next time, here. $13.95. I said, here's 14. Keep the change. <laughs> he didn't he deserved a nickel. I thought he should have paid me. He was using my Google Maps. My directions. Hey, that was me, not him. Now, I I didn't go back and didn't take the guy to dinner. We didn't have a relationship. He was there to serve me, right? And didn't do a very good job, actually. When when we think of God, it's therapeutic. It's, you're here for me. And you know, or you may battled with this like I have, like I have, When God doesn't do what I tell him to do, and it doesn't make sense to me, I get a little upset, right? I've said to him before, hey, you know, you, you must not understand how important the situation is, <laughs> or, or I'd say, you know, if you do this, you'd have lots more friends. <laughs> I'm serious. I've said that. Sometimes you don't have a lot of friends because you don't do stuff like this. <laughs> you would have lots more friends. Therapeutic. I'm not again saying that following Jesus, that there isn't success and there isn't your marriage gets better and, and like that. But that's not the point. The point is following him, and because of that, yes. Our uh, table wants to know what your students' reaction to all of this. <laughs> well, I only had two of them in the car with me. That's because I had another uh, counselor with me, and they were like in the floorboard. So, <clears throat> yeah, they were in the floorboard. Oh, they were scared to death. <clears throat> I just wanted to see what was going to kill me. I, I just I don't like the surprises. Yeah, but they 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 recognized it. I was nice. I here's fourteen dollars. <laughs> Give me a receipt. <clears throat> To charge him fifty. Uh, okay. Third piece, Deism. Now let me tell you again. The research I'm reading on this, uh, and if you want to want a reference point on this, I've 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 suggested this book by by Carney uh, called Almost Christian. Almost Christian. If you have kids or grandkids, or you're trying to navigate some of this stuff, you need to read that book. She takes John Wesley's famous sermon that he preached at Christ Church to all the faculty of the seminary and said, you're almost a Christian. They didn't invite him back. He said, you're you're almost a Christian. That, That this idea of deism, that God is not involved in the details of my life until I invite him. That God comes in when I call on Him. Somewhat to this therapeutic idea. Deism means that God created the world and then left. He wound the clock up is the image of the philosophers. He winds the world up, clock, and He leaves and He's uninvolved. And so, making decisions on a daily basis about what Jesus would say or want me to do, that's not part of the deal. It's what's best. Becky and I were talking about this. She was talking about <clears throat> when we were gone that you know, she was wanting to read the Bible more and like that. And I said, it's she, I don't think I spent as much time. And I said, you know, Beck, uh, <clears throat> I understand that, <clears throat> that you know, we all think we ought to read the Bible more and pray more. But listen, every decision you make and every step you take in life, I know, is based on you're asking, what would Jesus want me to do? Now, now, what's better here? Spend a lot of time reading and dropping it and forgetting about it? Or having Jesus to be involved in every decision you make all day, all time? So so this idea of God is involved not in the details of my life. He comes in when I call him. Now, let me tell you what the contention is by these who've done this research. And this is a little sad, and I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just telling you what the research indicates. <clears throat> they say that this reality that we're facing in our culture among young people and some of the, you know, I mean, college. Out of cause like that, and, and the culture at large. Even us older folks, right? It's not that the church hasn't done a good job discipling. It's we've done a fantastic job discipling people like this. We've made them think, just be good. God's there to fix your problems, and you can call on him when you want him. And the contention of the research is we've done a fantastic job. That's the sad part. We've done a fantastic job of causing people to think this is the way it works. I can tell you this. And in papers that my students write to me on several occasions, they will write this. And I never say who it is. I can give you that information for a cost, but (laughs) (laughs) no, no. They would say stuff like this. I never knew that believing in Jesus meant I would obey Him. Never knew that. Really. Now, I've said all that to say that this idea of loving Jesus is also in the research that says that that what distinguishes the religion in America today is not love but reward or fear of punishment. Like I'm going to be good because I don't want to go to hell. Or I'm going to be good because I'll get some goodies. But not distinguished by love. See, um, I'm suggesting and thinking, I've been thinking through this and I've talked to my students about this in my own life. As I've worked through the research and looked at this over some time, I've asked myself, is is the distinguishing characteristic of my obedience and my faith and my life an expression of love to Jesus? Is that what drives it? Or is it, again, the promise of reward or the threat of punishment? For a long time in my life, I am confident that what drove me was the threat of punishment. Instead of to say, wait a minute. God is working in those that love him. Bruxy Kvy's a guy I recommend. He's on podcasts. He's a hippie and uh, he's from Canada, so he can't trust him completely. But <laughs> Bruxy, B-R-U-X-E-Y-K-V. I've heard him speak at different times. He has a tremendous podcast and he'll... Wipe you out in some areas of understanding the love of God as the motivation for living for Jesus. He had a guy come to him one time and said, Hey Bruxy, now that I'm a Christian, by the way, Bruxy's a pastor of this thriving great church and a DJ on the side. So I just that's who you're dealing with, okay? Long hair, hippie. <clears throat> um, and uh, a guy said, Now now, Bruxy, now that I've now that I've become a Christian, you know. If I sin, no big deal, right? And Bruxy said, what do you mean, man? He said, well, you know, I've been forgiven now, so I kind of live any way I want to. And Bruxy says, you don't get it. Now, you know what? <clears throat> I would have fallen right into the idea of saying, because faith obeys. Anybody say that but me? yeah. Faith, faith obeys, right? That, that Paul says we bring about the obedience of faith, Romans 1 and Romans 16, and that if you say you believe but you don't act, you have the same belief that the devils have. That's not what Bruxy said. He said, let me tell you a story. There was a guy who was going through a field one time and he stumbled upon a treasure. And when he found that treasure, he went and sold everything he had for that treasure. Remember this story about Jesus? He sold everything that he had for this treasure. He said... Until Jesus becomes the treasure, you're never going to figure this out. Until Jesus becomes the treasure that's worth your life. Until Jesus becomes the treasure to say, whatever I have or whatever I got, until, until he becomes the treasure, you're not going to figure this out. Because until it's love for him that motivates you, all these other motives get wound up. Think about this. Uh, Jesus said, and I'll give you some verses here. Matthew 15, 8, Jesus said, and when I read this, I think, okay, Cliff. He, Jesus said this These people honor me with their lips. Remember the rest of it? But their heart is far from me. Wow. That sounds like a Bible professor, that sounds like a preacher. They say the right things. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Uh, in Ephesians uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 29, 28, 29, it says this. He is a real Jew who is not outwardly and inward, but circumcision, and that is of the heart. The true circumcision is the circumcision of the heart. Now, in my prayer journal that i open every morning, I just keep praying. God, circumcise my heart. Cut away all those other motives. Cut away all those other desires. Not that I can't go on vacation or have a nice car or go, go to a nice restaurant, but that the center of me, that my, my heart will be circumcised so that it will be cleaned before you. You know, there have been a lot of times when I've prayed, I, <clears throat> this is the hardest. A lot of times i prayed on Saturday night, oh, Lord, help me, help me get this lesson ready. Oh, Lord, help me to, help me to, to have it prepared. Help me, help me to be, I always pray, be creative and consistent with the Scripture. And I got a little correction. Cliff, why don't, why don't you pray, God, help me to share this in a way that helps people. God, help me to teach in such a way that people love you. Help help me to communicate in such a way that that people understand your great love for them. Notice here, I want you you to look at this. We're not going to get to the other verse. 208 pages, Martin Lloyd-Jones, okay? Don't mess with me. Look over here at Ephesians. You have to see this. Ephesians chapter 3. When Paul... By the way, you're having trouble in your prayer life. Go to Ephesians 1.15 and pray that. And then go to Ephesians 3.14 to the end and pray that. That'll be a good prayer. Notice here. In Ephesians 3.14, he so For this reason, 3.14, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the rich of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit, that's Romans 8, and the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge just think of that for a second Paul's prayer he's saying I'm praying man you you need to understand or experience the love of God I'm praying that you'll be able to know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of this love now New American Standard the word in 19 is that I don't know if ESV just or, or say that or so that that, okay, so here's the purpose. That what? Filled up to the fullness of the measure of God. What is the fullness and the measure of God? The love that's the height and the depth and the length and the width. To know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge so that you will be filled up with all the fullness of Of God. That sounds crazy. You know, I I heard someone say one time, you know, oh God, you know, fill me up with all your fullness, your power, your might, and a buddy of mine said, it'd be like putting a light bulb in at Hoover Dam and go, just like that. Burn you right out. But to be filled with the fullness of God as love To be filled with the fullness of God as love. To those who love Him. To those who are filled with God in love. You know 1 Corinthians 13 says, Hey, I don't care. What did, I'm, I'm translating. <clears throat> when Paul says, I don't care if you have all faith or move mountains. I don't care if you have all knowledge and understand all mysteries. I don't care if you have all able to speak in tongues of men's and of angels. Or you have all these gifts without love. It's just a little bit. Nothing. Listen, I'm not talking about this hallmark, sappy, be nice to each other kind of stuff. I'm talking about this robust power that comes from God that enables us because of the Trinity to bring love into our lives, to make us people who are known as those who love God. Final verse. I'm going to show you one more. It's in over in Galatians. You're in Romans. You're in Ephesians. Go back to Galatians 1. chapter. This is one of my life verses. It was one of John Wesley's. Because I think, again, I've defined the Christian life as obeying or knowing. Obeying or knowing. And my obedience would fluctuate and my knowing would fluctuate. But I'm suggesting that what it is is love to God in our hearts and lives. Look here in, in, in Galatians chapter 5. In verse 6. <clears throat> For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. See, I think for a long time, my faith didn't work through love. My faith worked through intellect. Or my faith worked through understanding. Or my faith worked through study. Instead of my faith now working through love, I've told you before, that's why some Christian people are mean. <laughs> it's all about intellect or understanding. It's all about knowing the right answers instead of those right answers coming through love. Loving God, <clears throat> loving others. Wesley said it this way, and he, he loved Martin Luther and John Calvin, he just said they didn't go far enough. They had those five solas. Remember, sola fide, only faith. Sola gratia, only only grace. Sola Christus, only Christ. Sola uh, uh, scriptura, only the scripture. They, they didn't have sola carnita, love. They, they didn't have only love. From the Reformation on, nobody seemed to say, look, part of the thing that's changing is not only faith, it's not only the Scripture, it's not only Christ, sola de gloria, that's the fifth one, I forgot. Sola de gloria, the glory of God. But how? Through love. So Paul says, it's those. So I'm just just suggesting, I know it's a, a long way around here. What I'm reading and what I'm studying in my own life is it's love that's the fuel to live the Christian life. It's not faith only. It's not just having all the right answers. It's not just obeying and doing the right thing. It really is this understanding that for we know that to those who love God, God is working. You see, the outcome of belief might ought to be the result of love. The outgrowth of commitment ought to be the outcome of love. The outcome of obedience ought to be fueled by love. How, How do we love God? I've said this before. You've heard it a jillion times, but John Wesley again said this. He said, True holiness is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you can't love God until you're convinced he loves you. The answer isn't try harder. <clears throat> the, an- the answer isn't work at it. The answer isn't just learn more. The answer is open your life up to the love of God to allow him to love you. You remember, 1 John four nineteen says, we love because he first loved us. You're incapable of this. Don't try this at home. You don't love because you're a good person. I don't love because. I'm, we love because we've been loved. first, First John 4:19. We love. We love because He first loved us. I, I don't know, maybe I'm teaching to myself a lot today, but I got this mixed up. It was obedience. It was reward, the fear of punishment. It wasn't due. I know the love of God for me so I can in return love him. That's not what my church told me. My church told me you better love God and I didn't know how. I, I was scared of him. But when I began to understand that it was actually that God loved me first. So here's what I to ask you to do this week. This may seem crazy but I want you to do something. <clears throat> I want you to walk outside your house, the foundation of your house, while you're mowing or chasing kids out of your yard or something. I don't know. <laughs> After you see it, I want you to touch it. I want you to touch the foundation of your house. I want you to say to yourself, remind yourself that the foundation of your life is love to God. Whatever else you're doing, whatever else you're experiencing, the foundation. Of your life. Is love to God. Now again I'm not a real feely touchy person. I'm not a real emotional person. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about that. What, what I'm talking about is the understanding. That we love God. Because he first loved us. So your project this week. Might not only be this. But to spend some time reflecting and Remembering. How God has loved you. Now, it's a historical fact. It's called the cross and the resurrection. If you need some verses, email me. I will send you some you could you could reflect on. It. But the foundation of this life, this purpose that God's working out, is for those who love Him. Not those afraid of Him, not those just trying to obey Him, not those just trying to have the right answers but those who love him and you're incapable and I'm incapable of loving God on our own. We love because he first loved us. Lord Jesus, you have some work to do in our lives. It's work that we can't do. We can read the scripture. We can reflect on it. We can invest time, but for us, we have to know through the historical fact of your life, That you love me. So we we need you to do some work this week. In our lives. In our hearts. So that we might be the kind of people that have the capacity now to love you back. I pray this in Jesus' strong name for this week. Amen.